remember, I guess I shouldn't say special guest because he's not a guest, but we do have a, uh, it is Young Adult Sunday, so we have a young adult. I don't know how young he is, but we'll, I won't give it out his age, but um, let's just pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the word that we're about to receive, Lord God, let it be nourished into our hearts and souls and that we will be changed from this word and our hearts will be open to receive it, Lord. And we just pray for Elder Chad that you would just bless him and prepare him and um, allow his words to be grace to our ears and that we will be changed. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for that, Sam. <laughs> I am a young adult in, by heart, really. Um, I'll be 40 in a couple of months, so I don't qualify anymore. I, I, yeah. <laughs> Which is not old, but what I found out is that my eyes aren't as, quite as good as they used to be. Because as we were standing up on the stage playing today, all my words blurred together across the uh, music. And I couldn't read them, which is why we should be memorizing our songs and not. (laughs) And Jack has offered me some glasses. I also have to do a public uh, apology to one of our elders this morning, to Elder Sam Dulcey. Um, I had nothing to do with it. I'll say that right off the top of my head. Um, My wife and my daughter coerced me. Um, But they played a practical joke on Elder Sam. And... It, it, it's funny how it worked out because I watched him come through the, um, and it's really not important what they did to him. They tricked him. They put a, they put a sign up on his door saying, do not enter, uh, classroom under construction. Um, this is going to happen from, they gave a date range and then they set up all his chairs out in the hallway. Um, but they picked on his, his integrity is so amazing because he would not open that door. I mean, and as an elder of the church, if you don't know what's going on in there, my first thought would be, I'm opening that door. I don't care what the sign says. <laughs> he came walking through the sanctuary, and he looked at me, and he said, do you know what's going on back there in that room? I said, no. I don't know a thing. <laughs> but I did. Uh, and, and, he went back and, forth, and he went back over here, and he still didn't open the door over there. And he came out, and he made calls to pastor, I think. And... Uh, Man, I don't believe what's going on here. Someone should be telling me what's going on in this. And uh, it was amazing, his integrity, because I asked him, why didn't you open the door, Sam? And he said, because the sign said not to. And we laugh at that now, but that's integrity. That is, uh, that is very high integrity. And Sam, I'm sorry for taking advantage of that, because that is... <laughs> That was really good, and if you ever want to get Elder Sam really good, play on his integrity, because it is unwavering, unwavering. But we are sorry, but we will do it again. (laughs) Which brings me to uh, the title of my message this morning, Creating Purpose from Pain. And Elder Sam was in pain this morning until we let him off the hook. But And the funny thing about this is I've battled with this title. I thought it was a great idea, and then um, I changed my mind, and then I thought it was a great idea, and then I changed my mind. And now I don't know if it was such a great idea, but um, 
we're going to make it work today because by the time they get it up on the uh, website, it's too late to change it, <laughs> which is where I'm at right now. <clears throat> but uh, I think I found out a way to make it work. We're going to go and talk about Joseph today. Who knows the story of Joseph? Joseph in the coat of many colors. Um, and we're going to talk about his life a little bit. Let's open up in a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, I just want you to take this time that we have, just this, these few moments, and just bless them and open up our hearts and give us a peek inside of you, of who you are, and how we can apply that in our lives today. Father, you are the God of creation. You were the beginning, you are the beginning, and you will be the end as well. And no matter how old by our minds we think you are, or or how young in terms of eternity you are, you are the same God, and you do not change. And I thank you for that, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. So let's start in Genesis, chapter 37. And we're going to read from verse 1 down to verse 11. And then I'll elaborate a little bit. Now, Jacob lived in the land where his father had sojourned, in the land of Canaan. These are the records of the generations of Jacob. Joseph, when 17 years of age, was pastoring the flock with his brothers while he was still a youth, along with the sons of Bilhah and the sons of Nilpah, his father's wives. And Joseph brought back a bad report about them to their father. Now, Israel loved Joseph. Israel is also Jacob. Israel loved Joseph more than all his sons because he was the son of his old age. Now, note that right there. He is the son of his old age, and I'm going to expand on that in a little bit. And he made him a very colored tunic. His brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, and so they hated him and could not speak to him on friendly terms. That's the power of a father right there. The power of the love of a father can be so strong that it puts brother against brother. That's just a side note. Then Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. And he said to them, Please listen to this dream which I have had. For behold, we were binding sheaves in the field, and lo, my sheaf rose up and also stood erect. And behold, your sheaves gathered round and bowed down to my sheaf. Then his brother said to him, Are you actually going to reign over us? Or are you really going to rule over us? So they hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. Now, he had still another dream, and he related it to his brothers and said, Lo, have had, uh, lo I have had still another dream, and behold, the sun and the moon and eleven stars were bowing down to me. He related it to his father and his brothers, and his father rebuked him and said to him, What is this dream that you have had? Shall I and your mother and your brothers actually come to bow ourselves down before you to the ground? His brothers were jealous of him, but his fathers kept this in mind. Now, I'm going to elaborate a little bit because there's a little bit more to this than what's here, and it's in previous chapters. Um, Joseph was hated by his brothers. The first thing we see is that he's tending his flocks, and his brothers... Uh, and Joseph goes and tattles on them. So they were probably doing something. Maybe they were out there pulling sheep's tails, you know, whacking them with the staff, doing something that wasn't right. I don't know. I'm making this stuff up because the Bible really doesn't say. But for whatever reason, whatever they were doing, 
Joseph brought a bad report to his dad. And probably it came out like, Dad, 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 guess what my brothers are doing? Guess what my brothers are doing? You won't believe this. And Joseph really knew that he had his father's heart. And the Bible says that uh, Jacob loved Joseph as his, more than all the other ones because he was his son in his old age. Let me give you a little backstory to that. Because Jacob, who was Joseph's father, loved a woman. And her name was Rachel. And that was the first woman that he loved. And he worked how many years to get uh, Rachel as his wife? Right. He worked seven. Thought he was getting Rachel as his wife. <laughs> Ended up, now that, that was kind of funny to me, because I'm like, dude, lift up the veil. Do something before, how do you not know that it's Rachel? So he goes, so he, he marries her, her sister, and comes back and says, wait a minute, this isn't the woman that I wanted. The woman that I want is over here. I worked for you seven years, and the dad says, whoa, 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 whoa. I'll tell you what I'll do. You work for me for another seven years, and then you can have Rachel. And at this time, I'll bet you, uh, Jacob was a little bit more, uh, leery and, uh, lifted up the veil before he gave that final kiss. But he got, uh, the sister and Rachel. Rachel was the one that he loved first, because he worked first for who? Rachel, right? Okay. So, life goes on with them, and um, Rachel is barren, okay? Uh, which means she can't have children. And Jacob has children with the sister, because that's his wife. They're all wives. That's all good. He's, he's got two wives. Uh, but then, I'm not going to go into detail about this next part, but then there's just a big flurry of kids happening, and there's a lot of uh, maids and wives, and since the tradition kind of was, if, you, if I'm barren, then you can take my handmaid and have a kid through her. Well, when God finally heard of Rachel's lament, God opened up her womb, and who was the firstborn of Rachel? Joseph. In the tradition of, and, and this is kind of what I was kind of connecting dots while I was reading this, when, who, gets all, who gets the inheritance of the father in this tradition? The firstborn. I believe that Jacob loved Joseph, not just because he was a son in his old age. He was the firstborn of the woman he loved first. And to me, that made a big difference. That would mean a lot to me, to know that, uh, because Jacob gave up a lot of his life, 14 years. Come on, guys, 14 years for a woman. That's a long time. <laughs> that is a long time. And he gave it up. I mean, and, and not dating, not doing, I mean, nothing. Just 14 years, and he did it for the love of that woman. And Joseph was his firstborn of the woman that he loved first. Now, I'm not saying that he didn't love the other women, but, you know, he didn't work 14 years for the other ones. So there's a little backstory to what was going on. Let's go and... Uh, so we have Joseph telling on his brothers, creating havoc, and his brothers hated him so much and so badly for the love that they weren't getting from their father. Let's hear what... Let's read on. A little bit. Let's go to uh, verse 18. So, from this point, um, 
Everybody had, uh, Joseph had told on his brothers. Joseph had uh, gone back and uh, told them his dreams. Uh, everybody despised him for it. Uh, they went to another land to tend to their sheep for grazing. And um, this is what they saw. Verse 18. When they saw him, who was Joseph, from a distance and bef- before he came close to them, they plotted against him to put him to death. They hated him so bad they wanted to kill him. It was more, it was more, these are the questions you should be asking yourself when you're reading the Bible. And you're not going to get all your answers, but it's going to help you fill in some of the backstory on what's going on. Because you can, nothing's changed from the beginning of time. Since God created the earth, God says everything, you know, there's no sin that, is, that hasn't been done today. Today is no more evil than it was then. God still works the same. Everything still works the same. So we can kind of take our life and, and look at what's going on in the Bible and do some comparisons here. But I'm telling you, if my brothers told me that they had a dream, that they were going to rule over me, I wouldn't hate them that much to want to kill them. So there's got to be some other things, some other strife going on there, some other things. And uh, granted, in this kind of a um, this culture, I mean, we're laid back. We are way laid back compared to some of these cultures. They, they hold things, and, and, to, and sometimes to our, I think of it uh, to, to our um, regret, I guess. I don't know if that's, if that's the right word. But they held on to their word. Their word means something. Today, our word doesn't mean very much in, in, in our Western society here, this culture that we're living in right now. And in those cultures, that, you know, you throw your sandal down, plop, that meant something. You know, I vow to do this, and you throw your sandal down, and it meant something, and, whoa, he threw his sandal down, so we, we can't go against that word. Otherwise, you'll be a laughing stock, or, you'll think, uh, you know, things would come against you. Um, let's, let's continue on from 19. They said to one another, here comes this dreamer. Now then, come, and let us kill him, and throw him into one of the pits, and we will say, a wild beast devoured him. Then let us see what will become of his, of his dreams. But Reuben... Reuben's one of the older brothers. But Reuben heard this and rescued him out of their hands and said, let us not take his life. Uh, so Reuben was kind of in, but he was out. He didn't want to kill him, but let's do something other than kill him. But there's a lot of hatred there. And do you think that Joseph felt that hatred? Okay. How, how badly do you think it hurts when a sibling that maybe you were close to when you were younger goes far away and has hatred toward you. That's just animosity. That animosity in a family tears a family apart. And it's painful. And I think a lot of people here today live with pain of brothers, sisters, um, fathers, mothers um, that have shown hatred to one another and they haven't recovered from that. And it's an emotional scar and it's a pain and it, and it hurts. It hurts bad. And I think Joseph experienced some of that. Now, he might have been, eh, who cares? After, you know, sometimes when you get to become a teenager... You put up this callousness, this fake, um, and I've done it. I mean, I will, I'll still do it now sometimes. This, well, I don't care. You know, show everybody that, you know, make it look like it doesn't bother me. When really inside it might be tearing me up. Let's go to, um, let's go down to verse 35, same chapter. So I'll fill you in just a little bit more. You all know the story. Um, he they, they came, they saw him, they didn't kill him, they threw him in the uh, pit. Reuben was going to rescue him later. Reuben walks away. 
Um, a caravan comes by while they're eating, and they say, hey, we've got a great idea. Let's sell him into slavery. So now not only does your brothers want to kill you and they, they hate you, they sell you into slavery. All right? Never, and they don't really care what happens to you. So they, Reuben comes back and says, well, what's going on here? Um, where's Joseph? They sold him. Uh, they go and they make it look like he was devoured by a wild animal, and they went to uh, Jacob, and they told him that his son was dead. And then all, and in verse 35 it says, Then all his sons and all his daughters arose to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted. And he said, Surely I will get, go down to Sheol in mourning for my son. So his father wept for him. And meanwhile, the Midianites sold him to, uh, in Egypt to Potiphar, Pharaoh's officer, the captain of the bodyguard. So we're, we're seeing, uh, are you kind of getting a picture of what Joseph might be going through at this, at this time? Well, I'm trying to get you into a mindset here. Now, if you go to Genesis 39, in verse 1. It says, Now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an Egyptian officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the bodyguard, bought him from the Ishmaelites, who had taken him down there. The Lord was with Joseph, so he became a successful man. And he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. Now his master saw that the Lord was with him, and how the Lord caused all that he did to prosper in his hand. So Joseph found favor in his sight and became his personal servant. And he made him overseer, and Potiphar made Joseph overseer over his house, and all that he owned, he put it in his charge. And it came about that from the time he made him overseer in his house and over all that he owned, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house on account of Joseph. Thus the Lord's blessing was upon all that he owned in the house and in the field. So he left everything he owned in Joseph's charge, and with him there he had not, concern, not to concern himself with any except the food with which he ate. So now it looks pretty good for Joseph, doesn't it? But everybody, and I'm going to stop reading there. I'm just kind of giving you backstory, uh, uh, a little foundation here. You all know the story. Joseph went. Potiphar, he was a handsome man. He was good looking. So that was probably another reason why his brothers hated him. And Potiphar wanted to be with him in an ungodly way. And Joseph stuck to his guns, and he said, no, I'm not a part of this. And he got framed, and he was thrown back in jail. So he went from prison, or went from slavery, uh, actually probably thrown into a, a well, pulled out, sold by his brothers into slavery. From slavery, he was sold to um, an Egyptian, from the Egyptian, he was framed for adultery, and he was put in prison for the king's guard. But even then, even then, he never wavered in what... I think Joseph had, knew something here. I think he had an idea that God was in charge. Because you wouldn't go through all that pain and all that agony without having something. Many people have pain. There's lots of types of pain. Lots of types of pain. There's physical pain. There's mental pain. There's emotional pain. Some pain is good. Can you agree? Do you agree with that statement? Some pain is good. Um, 
when you are working out, like me. I, I started. I was like two days into it, and then I stopped. I got sick. But there is physical pain, and that pain can be good. You know you've done work. It stays with you for, for a, a few days, and it's gone. And then you, you're constantly building your muscles, getting healthy. But if you're not doing something, if it's not painful, a lot of people say um, pain is weakness leaving your body. I hate that. <laughs> because if that's the case, i got a lot of weakness. Because ever since I turned 30, it hasn't stopped hurting. <laughs> Everything hurts. And I'm like, God, man, you've got to take all this out because this is no good. Well, my son and I are going to do Rugged Maniac next weekend. So that is a big um, deal where uh, I thought I was going to be in shape for, but I'll let you know next week how it turns out. It's a three-mile run, but it's like a Navy SEAL done um, uh, obstacle course. You're climbing walls, and you run through mud, and you're going under barbed wire. and you do it. So we're going to do that this weekend, or this weekend coming up. And my anticipation was I was going to go through all this pain and be so super duper duper <laughs> that I was going to run this race and be very successful at it. Now I'm not so sure. But I'm going to run this race anyways and do it because I paid a lot of money for it. And I'm going to prove to my son that I can do this thing. But without, without working out, without putting your body through some pain, you're not going to, you know, it's good. It's a good thing. It really is a good thing. And, and after a while, you say, oh, that felt great. I feel like a million dollars. Yeah. <laughs> Although the feeling is not desirable, the result can act, uh, wait, uh, Although the feeling is not desirable, uh, the result can act as a warning sign or uh, it's a sign that you're doing something good or, or it can mean something bad as well. Pain has its other benefits. If you cut your finger or if you put your hand on the stove, you're not going to keep your hand on the stove because it hurts. It's an indicator. It's an indicator. Um, so in that instance, even though it hurts you, it's still a good thing. And it makes you say things like, I will never do that again, which is something I might be saying next weekend. <laughs> but pain also has a, another side effect. It's good, but it's also not so good. And when, it, when it's so extreme that it cripples you, this can happen in your physical body as well. Uh, thank God I haven't broken a bone you know, I, I plan to be like Jesus, no bone broken on his body. That's, that's what I pray over myself. <laughs> he didn't have any broken bones. I'm not going to have any broken bones. I don't think I can handle that kind of pain. E- even when you do something to your hand or some part of your body, what's your first tendency to do? You want to you pull it in. Have you ever hurt your arm? And just to move it hurts and you draw it in and you don't want to, especially when you're a kid, you, that you do that a lot. And what do you tell your 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 kids when they do that. Oh, you gotta, you gotta move it. You gotta, you know, well, it hurts. Yeah, but you gotta move it. It's gonna hurt at first, but it's, it's gonna be better for you than the result if you left it tied, you know, held in. So, medically speaking, you hurt yourself, 
what happens if you kept it? If you didn't move it, if you didn't do anything, what are you gonna? Is it gonna be useful to you later on? Probably not. Probably. That's why they have physical therapy. That's why physical therapy hurts. Another kind of good pain. Good bad pain. You gotta do. You gotta do stuff. But too much can cause a sensory overload. You can pass out. Anybody ever passed out from too much pain before? And my daughter's raising her hand. <clears throat> so much pain, you pass out. Something happens. Emotionally, you can go through the same thing. And I did not realize this until four weeks ago. Because I always thought that if you couldn't handle things emotionally, you know, uh, to me it was a sign of weakness. It was weak. Because it's emotions. They're, I handle emotions. You know, a, a lot of things happen, but I, I, I think I handle them pretty well. You know, I, I'm not saying I don't cry. I don't, you know, I don't experience this, this range of emotions, but I'm not a... Uh, it, I can function as a person. I can get up and go to work the next day. I can do all these things. I was... Uh, I was talking to the Bundors, and we asked them how they're doing how it's going with them, you know, the situation that they're in. And we're at a point in our relationship now where he can say good to me. And I told him that, I said, because uh, I'd ask him, how you doing, Jason? And he'd say, he didn't know how to answer, really, because of the situation that they were in. And I told him this, I said, you can tell me good. I understand. That despite what you're going through, everything else in your life is good. And you're doing things progressively, um, Therapy, therapeutically, let's say, with his family that is getting him through this time. So right now, good, for Jason to tell me good, I understand that it's not all peaches and cream, but that, in general, his life is good, he's moving on, he hasn't made any backwards steps. I asked him how, it, how he felt one day, and I know it was emotional struggle, but he tied it to the physical, and I didn't know you could do that where he, he told me that it, it felt so bad that he had to throw up to try and get stuff out, but nothing was, would come out because it wasn't a physical thing that was bothering him. It was an emotional thing, but it caused physical issues. And he's not a weak person. I'm his friend, I know that. So this was surprising to me. And I didn't understand. But God had to kind of talk me through it and show me that this is, this is how our bodies work. This is how... God was opening my eyes to be sensitive to other people. Not to, I mean, I can be sensitive to Jason and Joy because they're my friends. I can now be sensitive to other people that are going through these same things now because I understand that it's not just an emotional... Just like pain can cripple you and can curl you up in a ball in the corner of a room, emotional pain can do the same thing. And you can be unresponsive and you can be... You can't go to work and depression and all this other added junk that comes with it. And I had to ask... How, how, do we, how do we cope with this? How do we cope with this emotional pain? How do we cope with this 
pain in general. And through what's been going on, God has shown me, you need, you need a couple of things. And we're going to talk about just two things. One is being transparent. And again, I love Jason because he is transparent. Transparent to a scary degree. Because he'll, he'll, he tells you everything. I mean, if you know him, he tells you everything. He doesn't hold anything back. And sometimes it's for a shock factor. Because he knows me. But sometimes it's because he's hurting and he's got to get it out. And he trusts those people that are around him to help him. Now, to be transparent is important. When I say transparent, it's... When you say the word transparent, you're thinking see-through, right? This is transparent. This right here is transparent. You can, you can tell what's going on behind, behind this, this podium. You know what's there. And, and that's what you're allowing someone to do. When you're being transparent, you're allowing someone to see through your outer shell that you put on in front of other people and let them see the real issues. It helps you to be accountable. But not only that, I think it's, um, I think it's healthy to be transparent. I think it's very healthy. There are things, if, if you put up a facade and you put up a brick wall something that you can't see behind, okay? Whatever's going on behind this wall, you don't know what's, what's there. And if this represents someone's life and they're asking you, you know, someone's asking you, hey, how are you doing? And you're saying good, but there are things going on in your life that are unhealthy for you. No one's going to be able to help you find them. So we, we kind of draw, withdraw into ourselves and we think we can handle it on our own when really we need someone to help walk us through it. And see, that's the beauty of your church family. Your church family, you should be in contact and in connection with everybody here in this church body or most everybody here in this church body so that you can learn to be transparent with them so that they can look into your life and they can see something uh, so that they can tell everybody else about it, right? No. Sometimes we have blinders on. We're doing things in our life that we think are okay and good and someone else that's experienced it, someone else that knows what's going on, can look and say, hey, man, you're, you're, you're not seeing it from my perspective. Here's my perspective. Here's what I see. They can see that poison. They can see that sin. A lot of it's revealing your sin. That's why we don't want to be transparent, because we don't want people to see our sin. And we don't want them to know about it. And we don't want to fix it. We think we can fix it ourselves. Well, let me tell you, there's things that grip and get a hold of you that you're not going to be able to take care of on your own. It's just you're going to need somebody else. Otherwise, there'd be no need for the church body. There'd be no need for us to come together. There'd be no need for us to, to, to do any of the things that we're doing if we didn't need help from anybody else. It's not a body of, it's not an army of one. Isn't that the uh, new slogan for the U.S. Army, army of one? Well, I guess that's a good slogan because it's, they're one unit, one person. But we're, we are so dynamic and we are so, rich in the gifts that God has given us in this body. Everybody here has a specific purpose for someone else in this room. If we're just coming on Sunday to say hello and to walk out and to receive for ourselves, then I think we're missing the point of why we're coming here. It's better to give than to receive. 
I think that goes across the board. God just doesn't mean it in a financial sense. He doesn't just mean it in God doesn't, to me, God doesn't speak like that. He means it in general. It's better for me to give the gifts that I have to you and to you and to you than it is for me to covet those and hold on to those and take care of myself. I think transparency is the big part of that. It helps us grow. I think it's healthy. I think that's what um, the Bundorfs were criticized a little bit for being as transparent as they were. And I say, hogwash. I, don't, I think if they're hiding things at this point in their, um, what's going on in their life, then they're going to miss an opportunity for someone in this body to minister to them. And they're being ministered to. This body here is ministering to the Bundorfs. And we should take this as an example, not to point, not to, um, point them out in particular, but knowing that that same attitude, that same coming together that we all did should be the same thing that we're doing for every single person in this body, no matter what they're going through. They went through a tragedy. You, everybody in here is going through something. And you're holding, it, you're holding on to it yourself, and you need to give it up. The other thing we need is hope. We need to be transparent, and we need hope. And I ask God... How do I get hope? Because the situations that people are in seem hopeless, don't they? How can you have hope in the midst of a tragedy? I don't know the answer to that. I'm not going to tell you that I know the answer. But what I will tell you is this. I ask God, where, is, uh, where can I get hope from? And he, said, he told me this. He gave me this one thing. He said, God cannot lie. God cannot lie. I can prove that. Numbers 23. You don't have to go there. I'm going to flash these up on the, on the screen. Numbers 23. God is not a man that he should lie, nor a son of man that he should repent. Has he said and will he not do? Or has he spoken and will he not make it good? 1 Samuel 15:29. And also the strength of Israel will not lie nor relent, for he is not a man that he should relent. Psalms 92:15. To declare that the Lord is upright, he is my rock, and there is no unrighteousness in him. Malachi 3.6. Not only does he not lie, he does not change. He is unchanging. For I am the Lord. He said it right here. For I am the Lord. I do not change. So I take that and I tell myself, well, if God doesn't lie, then what he's telling me here is true, that he doesn't change. Here's, a, here's another one, uh, Titus 1-2. In the hope of eternal life, which God, who cannot lie, little side note, promised before time began. Hebrews 6-18, and we're going to take a little section out of the middle of that. It says, so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie. It's impossible for him to lie. James 1-17. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. He doesn't change and he doesn't lie. How is this hope? I didn't know. This was hope for me. And this is because this is what, when I look at these Old Testament, when I look at Joseph, 
He knew his God. And he knew his God would not lie, and he knew his God would not change. He knew his God gave him a dream. And what did his dream tell him? That he would rule and reign over who? His mother, his father, his brothers. He'd be a ruler. He'd be here. Now, in the culture, it should have been the oldest brother that was there. But Joseph was there. So Joseph knew God had something there for him. Joseph had a purpose. God had a purpose for him. Did Joseph know what that purpose was? No, he did not. But his life indicated that he knew that he was there for a reason because he kept doing the things that God asked him to do. Even though he was in prison, he kept doing those things that God told him to do. He was the best at what he could be in every situation. When he was in with Potiphar, what did he do? He was the best that he could be. And Potiphar's life, uh, household prospered. Even when he was thrown in jail afterwards, he was in jail. And the jailers knew, saw something in Joseph. And he was the best prisoner that he could be. And he was blessed. And the, if the prison was blessed, I guess you could have blessings in a prison. To the point where he ended up being second in command of all of Egypt. Did he know he was going to be there in that position? No. His dream only showed him this much, but he knew God had a plan for him. God wants you to know that he doesn't lie, that he doesn't change, and that he does everything with a purpose. So, we go through things emotionally, physically. It's not comforting to say if, if you're lying, Dwight, if you're lying on the ground, um, you just broke your leg, and you're in a lot of pain, it's not comforting for me to say to you, it's okay, God has a purpose. He does, but that's not comforting. That's not comforting at all. <laughs> As a matter of fact, that, thems might be fighting words. <laughs> that's not what you want to hear. How about 911? <clears throat> but God wants you to know that He has a purpose for you. And He wants you to trust in Him. Isaiah, oh wait, Proverbs 16:4. The Lord has made everything for its own purpose even the wicked for the day of evil. Get back. That scripture right there tells me that everything, 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 whether I like it or not, was created for a purpose. Everything. That leaves out nothing. Everything has a purpose. Isaiah 46, verses 8 10. Remember this and be assured. Recall it to mind, you transgressors, you transgressors. Remember the former things long past, for I am God, and there is no other. I am God, and there was no one like me. Declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times, things which have not been done, saying, My purpose will be established, and I will accomplish all my good pleasure. Still not so comforting. 
but this is where we're developing our hope. This is where I'm getting my hope from. The fact that God has it all in his hands, that he has a purpose for it. I don't know what that purpose is. I don't understand it. But I need something to grab onto, even though it hurts so much now. And even though Joseph was in a position where everything hurt so much at that moment, he knew there was a purpose. And he knew there was a point to it. And he knew that God said that his purposes will be executed. It will be done. And they were known from the end, from the beginning, and they will be to the end. God wants you to trust in him. Jeremiah 17. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord and whose trust is in the Lord, for he will be like a tree planted by the water that extends its roots by a stream and will not fear when the heat comes. But its leaves will be green and it will not be anxious in a year of drought, nor cease to yield fruit. Blessed are you. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord. You will be blessed. If you trust in the Lord, you will be blessed. And you won't have to worry about the hard times that are coming. The hard times that you will see, because the Lord will get you through them. Again, if Dwight is on the floor with his broken leg, that doesn't help him at that moment, but that's something that he should be able to grab onto, that we can grab onto and hold onto to get us through that moment. Sometimes saying nothing at all to somebody is the best, the best medicine. Really, we get into situations where we think we want to say, oh, I'm sorry. You know, you feel like you need to say something, like you're supposed to say something. And it might not be something tragic. You know, it could be, you know, I, I've had people trying to empathize with you. I'm sorry. It'll get better. You know, you, you want to say those things, but sometimes... Stand next to that person that's going through that hard time and don't say anything at all. Them knowing that you're available could be all that they need at that moment. Someone to lean over and and cry, you know, I don't want to break down and cry on someone's shoulder, but sometimes I need to. And sometimes I need someone right there just to do that. I don't want them to say what's wrong. I don't want them to say you know, uh, encouraging word. Because in those moments, those encouraging words are the hardest words to find. And what I'm learning is, is shut up. And, And just be there. Because that person will get up and most likely will say something like, thank you for being there for me. This is what I need you to do. And that's what I want. I want to know what they need, but they need to be in a position to tell that to me. God wants you to know that he is unchangeable. God wants us to know that He loves us. 1 John 3, 2 through 3. See how great a love the Father has bestowed on us that we would be called children of God, and such we are. For this reason, the world does not know us because it did not know Him. Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not appeared as yet that we will be. We know that when He appears, we will be like Him because. We will see him just as he is. And everyone who has this hope fixed on him purifies himself just as he or Jesus is pure. And when we went back to the title, Creating Purpose from Pain, 
it's not that we need to create purpose. It's that we need to take the steps to walk out that purpose despite what our circumstances are. Okay? We can't create anything. Really, we can't. But we do have a choice. We can curl up in a ball and let the enemy... And and really, if you're going to curl up in the ball and and wallow in your own sorrow and uh, pull the woe is me, the enemy really doesn't have to do anything with you. You're doing it all yourself. You know, we have to get up, no matter how hard it is. And again, that's the purpose of our church body is to help us stand up and to help us get into a position where in our weakness we can help someone be strong and get them moving in a forward direction toward their purpose. I'm going to end with this. 2 Corinthians 4, 17 through 18. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. The things that we don't see necessarily all the time, rarely, are the purposes of God, what His purpose is. For our life, we don't know what the end result is going to be. But that's an eternal prize that we're seeking for. We can get caught up in the things that we see here in the temp- temporal, I guess we'll call it, in this world. We're only here but 70, 80 years, 90 years, 120 if I'm lucky, if I eat all the right foods, right? But still, that's a short, short span of time compared to what the purposes of God is for us for eternity. And really, to be with Him in glory is what our ultimate goal is to be, to be at. One of the things that I had asked, um, and I'm using uh, the Buendorf as an example today, and I asked him permission to do that. I wasn't going to ask him up here to, to speak or to do anything. I didn't think that was important. I marveled at their strength, and I wanted to know how we could, as a church body, use that strength, learn from it, so that our lives, corporately, together, will be enhanced and we are heading out and tracking with the purposes of God. Let's all stand. What I was going to, and what I was going to say was that uh, I asked them this morning what, uh, what gave them hope. What gives me hope to know is that God doesn't lie and that he's unchangeable. And that affects how you, you look at the word of God. If you know and you look and you're reading God's word things and you go with it with the mindset that God is unchangeable and that he doesn't lie, it, takes, it, it gives the, his word a whole new meaning whole new meaning. Two, we need to be transparent in everything that we're, we're doing. And 
I asked the Bundors what gave them, what was one of the things that gave them hope in the situation that they were, that they were in. And this is the answer they gave me. They said, um, we know that one day we're going to see Josie in heaven. And those of you that don't know, they, they lost their child a few weeks ago. And see, that was, they still don't know what the purpose of God is because they're shooting for something that's unseen. They're not looking for, they're not looking at what they see now and what's going on in their life here now. They're looking forward. And one of the, and one of the beautiful things was that they can look at the tragedy that they have and know that they hurt now and know that there's a lot of weight on their shoulders but at the same time they can understand I think that God had a purpose for her life has a purpose for their lives and that they will be together again in glory and it's just a little weight at this point in time And if we take on the attitude and we know that God has a purpose for your life, that's not going to comfort you maybe at that time, but know that in the future, everything that's going on from this point on and from when time began, God knew and had already set plans in place. He's unchanging. He knew what was going on way back when and it's going to ultimately end up for his glory can I have the prayer team come up it's not that you need to create purpose it's that you need to take the steps to walk out that purpose despite your despite your circumstances if you're in situations now and circumstances now that you think are unbearable that you, you question God. I don't see a problem with asking God questions. Ever. My God is big enough to handle my questions. No matter how uncaring they might seem, because God knows what I'm going through. And Job is one that went through a lot. And I hate using Job now as an example, but he's one of the better ones where he lost everything. And he still asks God questions and wanted to know what the purpose, but Job even knew. And if you go back and you read the book of Job, it's not very long. Job says, everything works out for the purposes of God, and he knew that. If you're going through a situation today, you need prayer, you want to stand in for someone that is going through something, the prayer team is up here to be with you, to pray for you, to help lift you up. And as a church body, I'm going to lay out a challenge. And this is something that I, I need to do. We, our vision here is to connect with everybody, make a connection. And that connection is important for this reason, that if you're going through trials and if, you're not going, if you don't have anybody that you trust or a family or a body that you trust, no one here can help you. And I'm one that I tend to close up and I push people away. And that's something that God needs to change in me. And he has, to a degree. Uh, I'm sure Pastor can attest to that in the many, many years that him and I have been 
together, counseling and uh, working together. But I'm not as transparent as I could be. And I don't know. It's just this is something that I need to work on every aspect of my life. Instead of closing up, opening up, and allowing someone here has something for me that's going to carry me to the next level, that's going to encourage me, that's going to lift me up, that's going to help me through the hard times. But no one knows what I need unless I open up to them. Let's bow our heads. If you have a need, come forward. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you and I praise you, Lord Jesus, for your comforting words, for knowing that you are our hope and that you have a purpose in our lives. And Father, even though those words aren't comforting at times, Father, I pray that this is something that we just hold on to and that you work a miracle in my life, Lord, that I would not be a closed-out person that I would be a person that would be transparent with those around me, Lord Jesus, for accountability purposes and for reasons of just being able to perform and and finish the purposes you have for me, Lord Jesus. Be with every person here today as they go their separate ways, Lord. I ask this in your name. Amen. If you have anything that you want prayer for, please come forward and get it taken care of. Thank you again for listening to this message from Cornerstone Community Church in Lynchburg, Virginia. Our website is cornerstonelynchburg.com. You may call us at 434-847-4796. And our physical address is 525 Old Graves Mill Road in Lynchburg, Virginia.